In this week's market update, the global banking crisis rolls over into a third week as UBS snaps up Credit Suisse. All eyes shift to how central banks on both sides of the Atlantic will respond, with rate-setting meetings for the Fed and Bank of England. Meanwhile, the market turmoil shows up in big moves for gold, oil, bonds and gas prices. Well, just like during the early stages of the 2008 financial crisis, no one is quite sure how worried they should be. Clearly, the rolling banking crisis that started with Silicon Valley Bank 10 days ago has gathered momentum. But it's still not clear whether the problems are company specific or more systemic. Exactly the same kinds of questions were being asked 15 years ago. And while there are some similarities, there are also plenty of differences. The current problems are obviously related to the rapid rise in interest rates around the world and are not related to the housing market as they were in 2008. But the focus is, as it was then, on the resilience of the global banking system. Unsurprisingly, given the catastrophic impact of events 15 years ago, the authorities have been quick to act, bolstering credit lines and supporting cash injections and takeovers by more secure financial institutions. A key difference this time round is that inflation remains a problem. That pins central banks on the horns of a dilemma. Should they focus more on taming inflation or more on financial stability? The challenge is in some ways similar to previous crises, but in others it's without precedent. Like all market and financial crises, there are echoes of the past, but the template is not the same. The big news over the weekend was the collapse of Credit Suisse snapped up by Swiss rival UBS at a fraction of its already severely depleted market value. The 167-year-old bank has been the weak link in the European banking system for some time, following a series of scandals, falling profits and deposit withdrawals. So no one is particularly surprised that it's become the first shoe to drop on this side of the pond. But the terms of the deal throw up more questions than answers. In particular, the way in which the Swiss regulator Finma demanded that a tranche of bonds designed to take losses in a crisis should be written down to zero as part of the rescue deal. This turns on its head the usual hierarchy of risk in which shareholders are usually wiped out before bond investors. It's the biggest write-down so far of so-called additional tier or AT1 debt. Hundreds of billions of dollars worth of these 81 bonds were issued after the financial crisis as part of a regulatory desire to shift the balance of risk from taxpayers to investors. They've rarely incurred losses in the meantime, but are being reassessed now by the mainly professional bond investors and hedge funds who've tended to hold them for their generally higher yields. The events at Credit Suisse spilled over in early trading this week as investors ran for cover in the banking sector, with heavy declines in Asia setting the tone for trading in Europe and the US. Markets were broadly lower after last week's relative resilience as investors weighed up the likely knock-on impact of a stressed banking sector on the wider economy. In bond markets, yields have tumbled as investors anticipated that central banks will now be less inclined to raise interest rates as far as they intended. The movement in the most interest rate sensitive two-year Treasury bonds has been unprecedented, with yields tumbling and prices rising as investors moved into this traditional safe haven, expecting interest rates to fall in due course. 
Trading volumes in bonds have been off the chart, with activity exceeding even the most dramatic days of the financial crisis. Last Monday was the biggest trading day in Treasuries ever, and you have to go back to the 1987 crash for anything similar. One of the reasons for the volatility is that speculative investors like hedge funds are much more important players than they have been in the past, and they've been hit hard by the rapid reversal in expectations about where interest rates are heading. Many of them made a fortune in 2022, betting that rates would rise faster and further than expected, and they came into 2023 running the same positions. When the SVB bank crisis changed the calculus on interest rates, those bets had to be reversed. Investors who had sold bonds short in anticipation of higher rates were forced to close out those bets, effectively becoming buyers of the bonds. In the jargon, it was a classic short squeeze. What's not clear is the extent to which interest rates will really change direction now. Last week, the European Central Bank pressed ahead with its forecast half percentage point rate hike. But this week's decisions by both the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England are in the balance. Much will depend on what happens in the markets before Wednesday's Fed decision and that by the BOE on Thursday. Even if they do push on with the anticipated tightening, this week's rises are likely to be the end of the current tightening cycle. Here in the UK, the Bank of England was already rowing back from its previously hawkish guidance. In February, it abandoned its line that further rate hikes were needed, saying instead that it would only act on evidence that inflation was persistent. Although recent evidence has pointed to a more resilient UK economy than thought, there were also signs that inflation is falling quite quickly. At last week's budget, the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, said that inflation was likely to fall to 2.9% this year, and more dovish members of the Monetary Policy Committee are pointing out that the cumulative impact of recent rate hikes has still not taken effect. Falling public expectations about the direction of inflation, which feed into pay demands, could also give the bank some cover to leave interest rates at 4%. Over in the States, the expectation remains that rates will rise by a further 0.25%, despite the uncertainty surrounding the woes at Silicon Valley Bank, Signature and First Republic. So, there's been plenty of activity in the equity and bond markets in the past week or so, but other markets have moved a lot too. Gold, in particular, has represented a safe haven for investors, And briefly, the price of the precious metal rose above $2,000, heading towards its all-time high of $2,075 an ounce, struck in the summer of 2020 when investors were still in the dark about where the COVID pandemic was taking us. Gold has now rallied by around 10% in just under two weeks. Other big market moves have been seen in the oil market, where the cost of Brent fell by nearly 3% at the start of this week, to $71 a barrel, as investors' concerns grew that the banking crisis could ripple out into broader economic slowdown. The price is now 42% below the high point of $123 a barrel reached last June after the invasion of Ukraine. In other energy markets, the cost of European wholesale gas fell below €40 per megawatt hour for the first time since the start of the ongoing energy crisis. It was the first time that the European benchmark had been below €40 since July 2021. 
The cost of gas has been falling since it peaked last August at €340, thanks to European buyers sourcing alternatives to Russian supplies, while a mild winter kept storage facilities relatively full. Now, with all the market activity, it will be tempting to gloss over a range of other potentially market-moving events this week. But in a less febrile market environment, we would undoubtedly be paying attention to first, President Xi's visit to Moscow, second, the possible arrest of former President Trump on charges of pre-election financial irregularities, and finally, the appearance of former Prime Minister Boris Johnson before a parliamentary inquiry into the so-called Partygate scandal. And finally, finally, let's not forget that Bitcoin has recently hit a nine-month high as crypto traders have shifted money away from banks and welcomed more positive signals on interest rates. The dollar-denominated price of Bitcoin rose more than 30% last week to more than $27,000. Like gold, cryptocurrencies are sometimes seen as a hedge against systemic risks, despite the fact that in the past 18 months, Bitcoin has tended to track traditional riskier stock indices like the Nasdaq Composite. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.